Welcome to the Opportunity Zone. We call it that because there are so many investment opportunities waiting for you, not just conventional, but also private and alternative ones. Your hosts are Chris Magda and Dan Summers. This show is going to move you to change the way you look at your investments and your future. Now, here's private lender Chris Magda and industry veteran Dan Summers. Good morning, everybody, and happy Monday. Uh, happy after Super Bowl Monday. <laughs> so I'm here. Uh, I'm Chris Magda here with Dan Summers, and we're uh, the Opportunity Zone. Today, we're going to talk about Fund of Funds. And so, Dan, take it away. We're going to also have Paul Wendy with us as well today. And uh, he is an industry legend, uh, well-known in, in funds. And so we want to get right off to the bat with, with what are funds and what are funds of funds, Dan? Can you explain that to the market so we can get some clarity around that? Because it's a lot, it's a, obviously it's a buzzword today, and there's a lot of uh, sometimes confusion on that, what, what it is and, and how people can get involved with it. Well, good morning, Chris, and happy Super Bowl, or Super Bowl hangover, that is. <laughs> right. So I think we're all moving a little slower this morning, but at the end of the day, depending on who had what dog in the hunt, it's either a good Monday morning or not. But uh, we, all, we both thought it would be opportunistic, if you will, to mm-hmm. discuss funds. It is really a buzzword, certainly from the EVEST perspective and its clients and interests from prospective investors, et cetera. Everyone wants to run a fund, new guys, the, the, the veterans, et cetera. Everybody wants in on a fund. But if you ask 10 of them, nine of them really don't understand the intricacies of a fund, okay? It's not for the new sponsor, okay? It's not for Nicky New Guy. It's for the seasoned veteran that A, has experience, B, equally as important, has a track record. So the fund, just by definition, is you know a pooling of capital by individuals to acquire property. The operative word is to acquire property. They may or may not be designated assets in which to uh, acquire, but it's a pool of funds, and sometimes the assets are in fact named, and sometimes they're not. So investors are really investing into a fund. You know, you've, you've heard of equity funds and balanced funds and index funds, money market funds, et cetera. It's, and uh, Paul Wendy is going to be our guest today. And he's a 38-year veteran of as being a, a fund manager, frankly, and he's out of the West Coast. He runs a fund called Northwest Quadrant Opportunity Fund. So at the end of the day, this is my fault. I should have turned off my phone. I apologize. Uh, in any event, so Paul runs a Northwest Quadrant Opportunity Fund out of the West Coast. And we're going to get into a fund of funds, but just by definition, you know, it, it, a fund is a collection of investors all investing into an entity in which they'll be acquiring a myriad of assets that may or may not be named, hence an open fund or a closed fund. The closed fund is identified assets, and the open fund is to be acquired assets, but everyone is investing together into a collection of income-producing assets, although it could be a debt fund, an equity fund, et cetera, et cetera. But I get that. You, you ever notice we get that question a lot with EVEST, too, where they say, well, I, I just think I want to do an open-ended fund, or I just want to do a closed-ended fund. And they have a little bit of confusion around how that really works and some of the risks that are associated with that, too. 
Well, the biggest risk is raising the capital. Okay, right. investors are clarity, right? So, so exactly. So that's why what I suggested when I opened this discussion is they're looking at the experience and track record of the sponsor. Right. So the sponsor has has to have been there, done that before. So his underwriting expertise has to be second to none because they're actually looking at looking to the sponsor to generate the income, especially if there isn't any assets. All right. So how strong of a fund manager is he? What's he done historically, et cetera, et cetera. So it's 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 a terrific, terrific avenue in which to invest through if in fact you have a fund manager that's experienced and he's you know he's got a track record of managing a fund. Uh, so his history is, is first and foremost. And it seems that everyone, probably eight out of 10 prospective clients at EVSCs wants to open a fund. It's just a buzzword that's going around the industry right now. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, how many funds are successful versus unsuccessful. So at the end of the day, it, it all falls back on the track record of the sponsor. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. You see sponsors out there that, that, as you said, believe that they can just jump into it and start a fund. And a lot of times it seems that their experience doesn't necessarily connect with their future investment either. So that, let's say that they've started off at a, at a certain level and now all of a sudden they want to jump up two or, three, two or three ranks and it doesn't seem to work out for them. So how, how do they make that connection with current and active investments into where they want to go? Sure. It, it, it all boils down to underwriting because really what you're underwriting is quote unquote, a portfolio of investments. So how they blend together and you always have to defer to the management. The management is first and foremost. So you might have some of the finest performing assets in a portfolio put together by a fund manager, but if the management of the entity, whether it's third party or not, is not adequate, doesn't have the track record or knowledge, you know, you're going to have issues, performance issues. So A, the operative word is a portfolio. So the property manager has to be in sync with the portfolio and understand all those moving parts, especially if it's a value add portfolio. So at the end of the day, the performance, the future performance of the underlying assets is not really in the hands of the manager, or the, the, the sponsor, it's more in the hands of the manager and he manages the day-to-day operations of that portfolio of properties or whatever the assets may be. So always falls back to experience, been there, done it, et cetera. And you'll see a lot of the new guys wanting to start funds because A, of course it's a buzzword, B, it's a way to take down a large group of properties. But nine out of 10 times, you'll see failure in the horizon because they bite off too much and they can't digest it. The thoughts there, the clarity's there, but the performance isn't, and they forget the missing link, and that's the, the management of the assets themselves. That's, that's as important as anything else in the acquisition portfolio. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's say you're a sponsor and you're looking to go out there. You've done some deals. Let's say you've got a decent track record going, and now you're going to be in the hunt for a fund manager. I know we're going to lean a lot on Paul uh, heading into the back end of the segment, but What's kind of a what's kind of a lookout uh, for for a funds a funds manager? Where where would one go to find that? Well, their their industry is comprised of you know financial planners, investment bankers, security analysts, 
They have to have the necessary pedigree, if you will. Mm-hmm. You don't just graduate college uh, and walk into a, you know, a, an investment manager's position. You have to come up through the ranks. And you'll see a lot of investment bankers have come up through the ranks. Uh, securities analysts, portfolio managers, private equity fund managers, uh, et cetera. They all have the experience of underwriting assets. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a real estate asset. It could be a myriad of different types of assets, income produ- producing assets. But it's, it's, an, it's an interesting uh, task to find the correct uh, fund manager. They've got to have the pedigree. They've had to have been around uh, in, in a myriad of different uh, capacities, as I suggested, investment banking, securities analysis, the ability to drill down into all the components and moving parts of the fund and be able to uh, digest the risks versus the rewards and so on. It would almost make sense for them to go to symposiums or event management or manage fund manager events, wouldn't it, as an investor to kind of go out there, take a look at a few of them, kind of get their feet wet, see who's there, see, see where they can kind of line up. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not, a, not an uh, easy a, task, is it? No, no. And it's not just something you jump into magically. Right. And, you know, Paul can explain that. He's been in this space for decades. It, it, it's something you come up through the ranks. It'll take you decades before you really understand all the intricacies So to be a fund manager isn't a moniker that you just give yourself because you found 10 different properties to buy. Okay, now you're going to go out and you're going to raise a fund to acquire future properties also, including the existing properties. You had to have come up through the ranks to understand how to manage the investment, not the bricks and mortar. There's There's a very distinct difference. So the mechanics are one thing. The bricks and mortar are something entirely different. Big job, big responsibility, not to be taken lightly, uh, but certainly there are many, many, many very successful fund managers and funds out there. It's certainly worthwhile looking at, especially when they're in the hands of someone as successful as you know, our, our guest. So it's just a matter of experience and a successful track record. So let's talk about the actual assets for a second. Right now, obviously, it's a buzzword, let's go start a fund, but what are some of the some of the assets that that are that seem to be key in the market? We talked a little bit about this last week as well, but the funds that seem to be performing out there right now in real estate investment, it, it seems like multifamily is a good pick, right? Some warehousing industrial seems to be strong as ever. Um, let's talk around that for a second. So you're you're a real estate investor, and you've been kind of in the multifamily or the SFR single family residence side, and now you're going to step up to that fund. What are some, some, some considerations and some watch outs there? Well, <clears throat> so the devil's always in the details. Right. Right? The ability to underwrite a certain asset classes is key and underwrite the performance. Okay, multifamily's always been a very strong space, but it's a very crowded space. Mm-hmm. As we discussed a few weeks ago with Bo Berry as, our, as uh, one of our guests, a very crowded space. So you've got to find a niche and the niche might be, you know, geocentric, it might be industry centric, but you've got to find that niche first and stay with that niche in lieu of basically prostituting the process and buying a, a hotel deal here, a mini storage there, a multifamily there. But, you know, stay with the niche, understand and digest in this and niche and become best in class. So you understand all the components and moving parts. So the pandemic has really changed a lot of the dynamics and opportunities, uh, et cetera. Uh, it's tightened up the market, uh, but you're going to see a lot of fallout in hospitality. 
So the hospitality uh, uh, industry, I think, is one that's going to present monstrous opportunities here in the very near future. A lot of fallout uh, in hospitality. Um, retail also, retail suffering. A lot of closures, a lot of small, which are the, you know, the backbones of the retail. Uh, the mom and pop, the smaller retail space is going to be a casualty if it hasn't already of this pandemic. So there's a lot of money on the sidelines watching, the, watching and looking for the fallout, which is starting already. already. But then you're seeing tight markets, such as we talked last week about opportunity zones with student housing, et cetera. That's always a booming market, very crowded space also. But at the end of the day, it's just a matter of doing due diligence, find a niche that you understand, that you like, you can underwrite, and going after it and find that little nuance, whether it's you know, value add or it's a tertiary or a secondary market or an asset class, maybe student housing, assisted living, et cetera. But at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's not being a generalist. I think you need to be a specialist uh, when approaching this market. A lot of moving parts, a lot of dynamics right now to digest. You know, it's interesting because we get on our eVest technology, a lot of the clients that do have that background that have, you know, the 10 to 15, sometimes multitudes of properties behind them. That's one of the things I notice with them is that they execute with their closed-ended funds. They go onto our technology. They put their legacy projects that are on there because it allows for that. And then what they do is when they, they, go, they take their fund manager, they have their next, next fund, and they, they have a process. They've got a plan. They've, they've got an execution style and strategy going into it. They know where their marketing is going to be. They've identified those key stakeholders. They know who their investors and sponsor, sponsors for their, for their next limited partnerships are going to be. They, they definitely, you can tell the difference for those that have those key points together and those that don't. Well, it's, it's rinse, rinse and repeat. If it's not broken, don't try to fix it. So just... Rinse and repeat, find the assets, repeat the same process day in and day out. So there's no magic in the real estate industry. I assure you of that. Don't try to create magic when there isn't any. All right? It's bricks and it's mortar. It's rent rolls, operating expenses. It's debt. It's equity. Put the components together with a little bit of upside. You're going to make money. But the devil's in the details, as I suggested earlier. You have to really, really do your due diligence, especially in a dynamic market that we're in right now, and understand all the components and the moving parts because there's a lot of volatility in leases right now, whether it's residential uh, and or commercial leases. So it, it all boils down to your due diligence, whether it's you know real estate or a startup or any other type of uh, investment. Uh, it's due diligence. And also never forget, you have to underwrite the sponsor. You have to underwrite the sponsor. That's a, that is as key as the rent roll. If the sponsor's been there and he's got a great track record uh, and he's, he's had a number of successes under his belt, the likelihood of this particular deal being successful is much higher than if it's a, if it's a fellow just entering the industry. So, especially in the funds world, because the funds are not necessarily, you know, asset specific, their future cash flows, et cetera. So everything falls back on the shoulders of the sponsors, especially in funds. 
You know what we're seeing too now is a lot of a lot of alternative investments where the alternative sponsor um, has a tremendous amount of experience in their particular industry, but not so much the experience on the real estate investment side. Are you noticing that trend too? We're seeing absolutely, absolutely. I'm seeing a lot of funds attractive being attracted into the alternative investment field from. You know, the cannabis industry is all of a sudden becoming exploding. Yeah, it's exploding right now, literally exploding right now. Uh, aviation, startups, motion pictures, uh, technology, etc. The, the alternative investment market is, is on fire. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the pandemic. People are traveling. They're not going to offices. They're remotely working, remotely living. They've got more time to spend on their computers, if you will, looking for alternatives and educating themselves. You're finding more money is available, especially to the smaller consumer, what we call the retail investor. Wall Street calls the dumb money. Okay, there's more retail investment going on than ever before. You know, hence GameStop. Okay, hence Robinhood. Uh, so people are at home working and they're not going out and spending disposable income. So those little investors are now looking for options, alternatives, if you will, to place their money. <clears throat> Interesting dynamic, especially on the, on the accredited investor side, is that accreditation actually started in 1982 and the benchmarks to get accredited have never changed. The dynamic is this, there were 500,000 accredited investors in 1982, and today there's over 11 million, 11 million. And that's because the benchmarks of 200,000 and or a million in net worth have never changed. What that means is they're out looking for options to invest into, alternative or not. Now in the pandemic, they're all home, they're working remotely. They've got more income right now because the disposable income they used to spend on restaurants, et cetera, is now sitting waiting to be spent. Which almost makes it hard because now that entire pool is kind of, if you will, filtering or wedging into one. It's hard, it's hard to get their attention, right? It's because there, there's so much information. They're sourcing from where it used to be, there was five five fingers, if you will, the marketing to try to get to that investor. Now it seems all wedged into either social media, you know, or email marketing, um, trying to get their attention or break them away from all of the information that's available to them seems to be somewhat of a challenge too. Oh, it is. It is. The, the, the competition to raise money, the competition to buy deals, raise money, get investors' attention is at an all-time high. And that's a result of digital technology, let's face it you know, in the presence of, you know, Facebook and Instagram, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, social media is, that, that's the place, obviously. The, the old-fashioned marketing techniques are antiquated. So through digital technology, technology uh, sponsors are able to reach out to tens of thousands of prospects by clicking one key on their keyboard and putting their opportunity in front of those people. So, the competition to raise capital is stiffer than ever before, but you also have a much wider audience and easier capability to reach out to that audience. So, you know, one dynamic is terrific. The other dynamic is 
not so terrific because the competition is at an all-time high. Which lies back into where we started with closed-ended versus open-ended, right? With a closed-ended fund, you have a specific message, specific sponsor, one specific you know, asset. Once those check boxes are made, which you, you better do quickly or you're going to lose the attention of the investor, um, once those are made, the decision-making is much faster. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's instantaneous. So at the end of the day, you know, you could raise, uh, look at Robinhood, okay? Robinhood in last week raised uh, $2.4 billion in a week just to fund its marketing for 2021. And that was done via, you know, social media, basically. So when Robinhood came to market and raised all that capital to come to fruition, most of it, if not all of it, was raised through social media. So being an expert on digital marketing, especially uh, social media, is key to any success, whether you're a fund, a fund of funds, et cetera. So it's understanding who your market is. And, you know, we used to make fun of the millennials being kids. They're not kids anymore. All right, right. They're 40-year-old individuals, plus or minus. Those are the people that are investing right now, the 70-year-old guys, 60-year-old folks like myself. We're not investing in alternative investments as as readily as we used to, okay? It's the 40-year-olds that are making a lot of money uh, that, are, that are your investors, and those are the people that are on social media every single day. So you've got to understand the dynamics of your market. Yeah, there's no question about that. And, and then making it easier, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring up both age gaps because you have to have a platform, or have to have a messaging that, that can kind of hit both um, so you're not losing either or, right? Because a lot of their buying habits in some ways are similar. People are going back down to micro investment is what they're calling it versus macro investment, large term, you know, $250,000 a shot versus 25,000 or less seems to be a trend that's coming, coming forward. Well, look at Robin Hood's raising capital in $100 increments. That's right. staggering. But, you know, in the old days, you had to manage all those investors. Today, you've got digital technology actually managing, uh, you know, thousands of investors uh, all at one time. So, you know, technology has really replaced uh, the traditional methods to manage, to acquire, to disseminate information, et cetera. We're, we're in an instantaneous uh, reality right now. The marketplace is, is very dynamic. It's very fast moving, et cetera. So, you know, buckle up. Yep. Could be an interesting 2021. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this section, Dan. Thank you so much. And let's, we're going to, to enter into this commercial break. And right afterward, we're going to have Paul, Paul Wendy with us. So look forward to that. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Evest Technology is quickly becoming the number one capital syndication platform in the U.S. Used by real estate professionals, cannabis growers, movie producers, and startups, Evest solved two pain points time and money. Its platform is 95% faster and 95% less expensive. As a Reg D506C compliant platform, Evest will rapidly design and prepare your private placement memorandum, upload no-cost operating and subscription agreements, seamlessly accredit investors, and automate funding and dividend distributions. That's why Evest is number one. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Once in a while, an investment comes along that is safe, secure, with high yields. Approved project to build 61 apartments in an opportunity zone, Wood Village, the fast-growing suburb of Portland, Oregon. The developer is offering the high yield of a minimum 20% per year return on investment to partners. The commitment will be backed up with the developer's share of profits upon sale of the project. The experienced contractor will supply a completion bond to assure a timely build-out, seeking total equity of $3.5 million. Details found on website www.firstwestrealty.net. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to The Opportunity Zone. You're invited to send us your questions and comments, and we can respond on a future show. The email address is dsummers at evesttech.com. That's dsummers at e-v-e-s-t-t-e-c-h dot com. Now, back to The Opportunity Zone. Welcome back, everybody. This is private lender Chris Magda and my partner Dan Summers from Evest Technology. And today we have with us Dr. Paul Wendy, and Paul is the editor and publisher of the Intrinsic Value Wealth Report newsletter. Um, he is also the managing director of uh, Paul Wendy and Associates uh, with an extremely strong background in corporate finance, private equity, and, and obviously in managing consulting funds of funds as we were talking about in the last segment. Paul, pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you, Chris, and Dan, uh, thanks for having me. So, Paul, just kind of just to dive right in, that's kind of how we do it here. Tell us a little bit about uh, where, where you are today, you know, the, the past and what brought you here and, and what you see going down in 2021. Sure, absolutely. Um, and thank you, Chris. So, uh, I've been um, actually an investment banker and running funds uh, and putting together funds and so forth for about 39 years now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also, by the way, a university professor, and so I get to not only, uh, you know, do, that's my day job is, is actually doing, you know, managing funds. But then my night job, if you will, is, is teaching students how to do it as well. And, that's uh, an that's, incredible give back because sometimes in, in, in colleges, some, some don't have the, they have the book knowledge, but not necessarily in the trenches. So, so you've but got not the experience, right? Yep. Yeah. And, it, and it's fun to be able to do that with the students. Um, 
So, um, so do you want me to kind of jump in now and start talking about fund to funds a little bit? Yeah. So kind of, well, you know, you're, you're right now in the college, obviously you're in the university, you're, you're talking about uh, the same thing, right? So we want to, we, we get these questions all the time is from, from a fund manager's perspective, funds of funds kind of, kind of lead us into the trenches of how you got here. Um, you know, obviously, and then, and then what you're doing today, because there's some serious transitions going on in the marketplace and, and, you know, we get the question all the time is, how, how does how are, how are funds made and then obviously how are they managed and how do you find the right guy all the things you heard us saying in the, in the, uh, the all, early all those things, all, my, all the things my students ask me <laughs> every day when they show up to class right <laughs> that's right so um, well gosh I, mean, I started in 1982 um, as a uh, <clears throat> as a stockbroker actually with a little regional firm out of Los mm-hmm. Angeles Bateman Eichler Hill Bateman Eichler Hill Richards mm-hmm. and from day one 1982 was really the heyday of the limited partnership. Um, you know, era. Um, you know, now we have really the same kinds of investments, but they're, we don't call them limited partnerships. Now we call them hedge funds and private equity and, and so forth. But they're really still, and oftentimes they're structured in, in an actual formal sense as a limited partnership. More often than not today, they're actually structured as limited liability companies. Yeah, we see um, that a lot. Limited liability, pump, limited liability partnerships or companies, and then they have a branch off the special purpose or limited partnership underneath. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yes. And, um, you know, one thing I wanted to kind of kind of discuss with the, the group here is that um, th- there's really kind of two, I think, major themes or major types of, of funds. Um, one uh-huh. is a, an actual fund where, you know, as you guys were, uh, you know, discussing earlier, what Dan was saying, um, and Dan, you, you were spot on with all the things you said. I completely agree with, uh, with all the points you made. Um, and so, but, but the, the kind of two different major categories of funds are the funds where you manage individual assets. And quite often that's, that's real estate funds. And I've, you know, that's really probably where the majority of my background has been over the years. Not the majority, but a, but a large part of it is managing real estate funds of various kinds, including uh, real estate investment trusts. Um, <clears throat> and so, but then a, a, not so much a newer trend, but I think it's really catching on uh, in, a, in a bigger way now, um, and maybe particularly since the, the pandemic, maybe not, I'm not sure how much the pandemic has really influenced this, but then there's this other major category, which is the fund of funds. And that's what um, uh, my partners and I have is a Northwest Quadrant Opportunity Fund, which is a fund of funds. And what's important to realize there is that, you know, we have 30 plus different asset classes. And as you guys were talking about uh, before I came on, you know, real estate's a big category there and all the different types of real estate. But, you know, we have assets in shipping containers, in convertible securities, in private equity, pre-IPO opportunities, and so forth. Like I said, there's, there's 30 or more that we, uh, we specialize in. And so with Northwest Quadrant, um, although we do individually, my partners and I have expertise in some, you know, well, actually many individual asset classes, Really, with Northwest Quadrant, we'll call it NWQ for short. With NWQ, we are um, our expertise for this fund is to pick good managers. So, for example, we have a, a hotel manager. We actually, we have two or three hotel managers that we work with. Um, and so, um, Ed and Beck and myself, my my partners, we're not going to go out and, and man the front desk and you know pick the hotels and uh, you know clean the rooms and so forth. That's not our expertise. Um, but our expertise is in finding the hotel managers 
that really, really do a good job of that. And so, for example, one of the hotel managers we work with um, is um, using a structure which probably most people on the call is not are not familiar with called an upreach structure. Um, huh. And that's probably a subject for a different day, but um, basically it allows them to acquire, for example, uh, with $25 million, they can acquire a couple hundred million dollars of real estate of, of hotels um, because they're acquiring, the, they're exchanging uh, uh, REIT interest in their company for the hotels with, with the hotel operators that are distressed, um, you know, distressed operators. So that's just one I example. Just heard but, that term this week. That's why you heard me click in there just for a second, saying, "Huh." Oh, with the operators. That from a, from a real estate in, uh, investment trust attorney this week in the medical space talking about upreading. So that's very interesting. Yeah. You should bring that up. Yeah, it's it's a really great strategy. Not many people understand it well. Not many people do it, but uh, but it's you know when it's appropriate and it is appropriate in many cases. Uh, it's really a wonderful strategy, particularly in this environment where so many. Uh, companies are struggling. Um, That's what he was talking about, going into the medical. I know it's it's it's, it's funny to hear some people talk about medical struggling, but some are. Um, oh, yeah. So, and, so, and ironically, you wouldn't think that, but that's the case. And what they're doing is the exact same model that you're talking about, going in there and creating basically a, a REIT safety net for them, um, right. making an M&A deal, sec- you know, securing the assets of, of, of those uh, offices and becoming a huge benefit to them and a huge upside to the investor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a win-win for everybody. In many cases, those, uh, those medical practices or real estate uh, operators, they would just have to give up the asset and just you know, walk away from it. Um, and they, and they do that because they're practice. great at their practice, not so great at the management aspect or not so great at real estate, right? So medicine, exactly. that, that can be the case with many, many medical or doc, medical practitioners or doctors, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're running old businesses and, um, and their expertise is in, in medicine, not, not business necessarily. Um, so anyway, those are um, <clears throat> those are kind of I think the two two major categories. I mean, there's, there's other categories, but those are the two major ones where you're managing individual assets. I've you know done that over the years uh, plenty. Um, but then the fund of funds. Now with funds in general, um, there's some some real benefits to the to them. You know, one is the obvious diversification that you get just by having a number of assets. In our case, you know, we're targeting thirty, well, fifteen to twenty, maybe up to thirty different asset classes. We're talking about asset classes. And so within there, we may have, you know, the same number of sponsors, 15, 20 different sponsors, but each one of those sponsors is managing three to four assets. So if we have, say, 20 asset uh, classes, sponsors in an, in an asset class, and each one has, say, three assets, that's actually uh-huh. 60 investments that were diversified across. Um, wow. But one thing that people really don't understand for the most part, and, and, and again, this is, unfortunately, my students are really, uh, I, I'm teaching a, um, uh, a capstone course in finance uh, this term. Oh, and, okay. you know, so these students have been through the, you know, through the, the courses, and I was very, very pleased to hear at least some of them understand the concept of, of low correlation. And that's the other major benefit to, um, to funds uh, and fund of funds is that the, the and, and by the way, we were talking earlier about alternative investments. So the alternative investment class, and alternatives basically are, the way I define it is it's pretty much anything that's not a stock or a bond. Right. Um, alternatives have, you know, they've been around, they're not new. They've been around, institutions have been doing them for, you know, 30 years probably. Um, but now the, you know, it's, it, it's, it's become a more widespread investment for people of all, you know, um, 
means and, and experience and so forth, which I think is generally good. Um, but again, it's one of those things that you, you can't just jump into alternative assets you don't understand. You need to, well, you need to use a fund, really, to, um, uh, to, to get the expertise of the fund manager. But one of the, the real benefits to alternative asset classes and alternative assets and being diversified across you know, quite a number of these is this idea of low correlation. And so it turns out that many alternative asset classes have low correlation with stocks and bonds. What that means is that in a stock and bond portfolio, especially, you know, think about today with the, the huge volatility in the market, right. the alter- alternative assets will actually reduce <clears throat> the uh, volatility of, the, uh, of your, your other portfolio, the, you know, the other part of your portfolio. Is that uh, because, because they're, they're taking out some of some of what, like Dan was saying, for, not to discredit people, but the money, the the money that's just seeking after, that's, that's trying to follow follow trends, or what what's kind of the cause and effect of that? Yeah, it, it's it's actually just the nature of of, um, of of how investments relate to each other, react to each other. So, um, you know, the classic example. Okay. Well, the the classic example I use for um, for describing. Uh, lower, so low correlation or negative correlation, negative correlation right. can get even better. Okay. Here's how it works. It's just real simply, imagine you own two stocks, you own Ford Motor and you own um, uh, Cragen Auto Parts, okay? So in when the economy is doing pretty well, Ford Motor is, ah, is probably it. going up because, yeah. you know, the economy is doing well. When uh, when the economy is not doing so well, people aren't buying new cars, but they're keeping their older ones. So Craigen does well. Now, for this to work, both companies over time have to be growing. But you can kind of see how when one's going up, the other one's going down. That's the that's the idea behind. Uh, uh, so much an options hedge, right? So it's an it's a it's a it's a commodity hedge in in one sense of the word, right? So you're hedging in sort of a sense, yeah, in a sense, right? So make it simple yeah. for some people. Um, so, so this, how does that correlate into the real estate investment trust market? How do we? How does that kind of correlate into there? Well, sure. So, if you have a, a REIT, real estate investment trust, a REIT, um, you know, it's going to it's going to be comprised of of a number of well, real estate assets. Now, within the REIT itself, if if it were all say apartment, you know, multifamily or something like that, you're within the REIT itself. You're not going to get much low correlation because you know they're all kind of correlate. I mean, they're all going the same direction, right? If, if you have multifamily, but let's say that in a REIT, you have a mix, you have student housing, you have hotels, you have multifamily of self-storage. Okay. So those may have different movements within the market. Um, so within the REIT itself, you can have, you can have a low correlation effect, but then your, your REIT added to a stock and bond portfolio, that's going to add another layer of, of low correlation. Oh, that's incredible. So, so let's talk around that with funds of funds, right? So we get this question all the time, which is, you know, um, if everything from experienced practitioners to, or, or, you know, investor sponsor, investor guarantors, to those who are kind of entering into the market. Can you guys give them a little bit of guidance on, on you know, when, it, when is a time to do a fund? When, it, when is a time to maybe, um, you know, reconsider it based on qualification? Sure. Well, um, it, as Dan was saying earlier, I think, you know, a, a big factor in this is, well, there's a couple of things. So one is just the experience. I mean, and, and um, I jotted down a note when, when uh, Dan was talking, uh, again, I enjoyed his presentation so much. Sure. Um, the, um, <clears throat> um, you, you know, so, so the note I jotted down was you have to, 
you have to walk before you can run. You have to crawl before you can walk, right? That's right. And um, I think I think fun would be a great thing, you know, for the average, for the, the person that's just jumping into the field. You know, maybe they, I, I mean, I, I, I talked to a lot of, out here in, in California, we have a lot of real estate clubs, for example. Oh, yeah. Real estate yeah. investment clubs. A lot of us here in Nashville, so, a lot in New York, sure. A lot all over yeah, the country. Yeah, I mean, all over the country, right? So, you know, those people might start out buying one or two houses. They eventually graduate into multifamily. You know, now they're kind of getting to the point after, you know, some period of time where they're probably getting enough, you know, enough experience and, and enough credibility that they could probably start a fund. Um, but that's where I get them. I see, I see them where, they're, where they're, they're right at that point, right? So usually when they come to me as a hard money direct private lender, they'll come to me and say, okay, I'm ready. And, and I'm also certified fund manager at the APL. But they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking to do a fund now. I've, I've done 15 properties. You know, I, 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 you know, I've done the Burr method. I've, I've got to this point now. I've got, you know, 10, 10 guys sitting on convertible notes <laughs> for a million dollars. Now right. I'm going to jump to that next level. Where do I begin? You know, so that's, we get that a lot. Yeah, and, and that's probably a great place to start. You know, starting a fund, the mechanics of it's not difficult. You can, there's a lot of, I mean, pretty much any, any business. Yeah, ready by the 60, sure. Yeah, we'll help you help you form that and so forth. The, the real hard part is, of course, raising the money, as Dan was saying. Um, now, in the fund of funds field, that's another little, you know, another different. Yeah, let's, um, let's dive into that. Yeah, so that, so like where, when you're, you're fund of funds, you're picking fund managers. You're not now picking individual assets. And, and that's going to probably take most people a little bit longer to, uh, to jump into that field because, number one, you have to have a good source of, of fund managers um, to, to choose from that you're going to be a manager of those fund managers. So you have to be able to um, be able to find the, the managers um, that can do that. Another key. And then, the, which, and then the ones that are actually going to want you because you're new at it, right? Technically you're, well, and that's you're, true. you're in essence, even though you've got that experience in your track record, you're still essentially a startup, you know, so that's right. Got, I, I see when they come to me and they say, well, we need a, you know, a, a private place memorandum, we need a Red D 506 C. And I start going, getting into the details with them. They have no idea where to start that. And so of course we, we onside them, we get them with EVEST technology. So they've got a platform, but they're, they're basically at the whim and the wheel of getting that started. And then they find out really quickly once they've got all that, Oh no, I need a fund manager. Cause I have no idea to where, where to go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, and then, they well, start the, then they start the quest of, okay, now I've got all these, I've got everything aligned. I've spent, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of you know, 30 up to a hundred thousand dollars. I've just bought a big marketing list, but wait a second, who's going to manage this thing once it's done. Right. Exactly. Well, and, and then another key, key component, which, which Dan also touched on, um, touched upon was um, you've got to really have um, the capability and you've got to do your due diligence. So you have to have the capability to do due diligence and you got to do it. I mean, the due diligence is probably um, if you're, especially if you're going to be a fund of fund managers, I mean, obviously you need the due diligence on individual properties and so forth. But if you're managing other managers, you need to really do your due diligence on those managers. Um, and, and again, that takes, that takes a lot of time to develop that, you know, that network and those connections. Yeah, we have you just jump on to Lexus Nexus, do a background check. And all of a sudden it's, it's much more entailed than that. You need to know much what more, yes. classes they've had, who they've done business with. There, there's, there's some due diligence and that can be, that can be a serious challenge. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so, um, you know, the way that we source deals and the way that we do our due diligence, um, I've belonged for, you know, pretty much all my, my whole career, um, almost, you know, 40 years now, 39 years, 
I, I belong to um, various groups of investment bankers. Um, mm-hmm. And as I was talking to you offline, Chris, you know, I'm going out to Houston in a few weeks here. That's, that's for this medium investment bankers. And so we have sponsors that come and, and present to our group. Um, and, you know, and we do this about three times a year. And some of these sponsors, we've been seeing them for, for years. I mean, some of the sponsors we've been doing business with for, for years. So we know them really, really well. But more, more importantly, I think, is the fact that within that group, we have at least a half a dozen firms that only do due diligence. And, you know, they'll spend, you know, a month or several months doing due diligence on just one sponsor in their programs. Um, wow. Yeah. And so, and that's really the, that's the, really the level of due diligence that you need to get into. And you, because you, as you mentioned, you can't just yeah. get You bring up such a great, pro, a great point kind of in, inadvertently in, in that this is not an overnight success thing. I see no. guys that come out and they think that they're just in 90 days or less, all of a sudden going to put all these pieces together and they're just going to walk right into a great fund, raise a bunch of capital and boom. No, this is a six month to a year process Yes, uh, to the point where you're ready to, to take that capital forward. And, and, and then from there, you know, then you can, and I always explain to the investors and, and I'd love to get your take on this too. This is a matter of checking boxes. Dan's really great at that. He, he always points out the underwriting side of it, which is, you know, where I started. And, and it comes down to ch- checking off boxes. And if you don't have those boxes checked, an accredited investor, especially a seasoned one, is never going to give you a penny. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. And that's ultimately the goal, right, is to raise more capital and have more, more funds of funds. That's right. And that's the hard part. <laughs> But it's doable. And, and you know, and, and to that point as well, um, uh, you know, uh, the EVEST platform is a wonderful place. You know, we've been uh, with Dan uh, having our Northwest Quadrant Opportunity Fund. We've been on his platform now for a little over a year, I think, and been very, very happy. But that's that's just a, an excellent platform to, um, you know, to be able to, to showcase and, and actually have a, uh, you know, a, a structure, an infrastructure, if you will, uh, for your fund um, and to raise capital. So let's talk around um, your funds right now because uh, we, we, and again, we appreciate you having on the show. This has been extremely helpful. I know for, for our investors and sponsors um, for, you know, and those who are starting out. So tell us about your fund a little bit and what, and what you see going on in 2021, if you don't mind sharing some of that. Sure. Not a bit. Well, so Northwest Quadrant Opportunity Fund, we're a fund of funds. Um, as I mentioned, we have probably, um, we're just actually starting the capital raise on our, our fund, but we're targeting 15 to 20, uh, uh, you know, sponsors slash asset classes. And so, you know, assuming an average of, of about three assets. So, for example, we have a hotel operator that we like really, really well, and they have three three hotels. So, you know, multiply three times the 20 just to get a rough idea. We have about 60 assets. Um, and and, and in the 30 plus asset classes we're targeting, there's a tremendous amount of low correlation, as I was discussing, um, with other cla- with, with themselves as well as the, the standard stock and bond portfolio. Um, and so, you know, in, in this market where, where there's so much volatility, the, the alternative assets, they provide a, you know, a real kind of a, of a cushion for a portfolio. Um, and... At the same time, they provide an extremely good return. We're targeting an average of about 18%, say 15 to 18% return. So it's not just the fact that you're reducing the risk, you're actually getting, you're actually targeting a, a, a higher return. And that's just the nature of the asset classes we're investing in. When we're talking about, you know, real estate and private equity and pre-IPO and, 
Um, there's, there's another really kind of neat area that's like, uh, there's some of the institutions know about this area um, and actually have access to it. But one area that we have, have access to are the, um, the kind of a secondary market for partnerships and so forth that were done. And, you know, the, the reality is sometimes people get into those and life happens and they need to get the money back out. Right. Uh, we unfortunately, hear that Yeah. Unfortunately, it's for them, it's, it's a very illiquid market for those of us that are buying assets. Um, we can get, you know, some of those assets for 50 cents on the dollar and they're seasoned assets. We can, you know, an apartment building that we would have bought four years ago as a, as a blind pool or, you know, a, a new investment in essence, we now have a four-year track record to actually look at the asset. So, you know, so, oh, those so are they the can kinds see of- that right off the bat. They know what they're getting into. As we were saying earlier, the track records there, that's what right. matters. Yeah, exactly. And many of these are sponsors that we've, we've known for years. So, so that's a, you know, that's a really good area for us. What do I see for 2021? Well, you know, it's funny. I've, I've been on several podcasts and I, and I have my own podcast show and I, I write articles and web, do webinars and so forth. And I always tell people, <clears throat> I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but, but I say, you know, the, the, what you should look at for 2021 is the same thing you looked at in 2018, 2019, 2020, and the same thing that's going to happen, you know, going out 22, 23, 24. The idea is, is that you want to be a long-term investor. Um, and that's particularly why funds and funds of funds are such a good investment because you can, you know, you can spend your time, do your due diligence, get into those asset classes and just stay for the, um, you know, right out the, the market swings. We're going to see tremendous volatility in the markets. Um, that's a subject for another. another. Uh, yeah, and I wish we had more time, Paul. I, I appreciate every second of you being on here. I know our sponsors and our investors have. Uh, thanks again. And we're definitely going to have you back here sometime very, very soon. For all of us here oh, at the Opportunity Zone, thanks again and talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. My pleasure, Paul.